But anyways, <laughs> guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, where we talk about news, politics, social issues, the Millie Rock. Oh, Millie Rock. Because my block is block. word. Oh, Selena Millie is, Rock. I don't know if Selena's Millie Rockin' or having a seizure because I know she is congested, but who knows? No, guys. I was, Stanley showed me the YouTube video earlier today, and we were just talking about it. You know how Stanley likes to get ratchet at times, but we are going to jump into a very serious conversation now. We'll be talking about Katrina 10. Of course, we know this is the 10-year uh, anniversary of arguably one of the worst natural disasters in our American history. Now, a few uh, back in 2006 and 2007, I actually had the privilege to go down to New Orleans for um, about a week and see firsthandedly not only the damage that the that the storm did, but the the neglect and the fact that there wasn't a lot of progression in certain areas, especially the Lower Ninth Ward, which is um, mostly inhabited by Black. Um, homeowners of low income and of low means. So, I mean, even to this day, it still pretty much looks bad. No, it... it how, can, how can we say this? So, if you ask any elected official who's in New Orleans, or pretty, actually any elected official in, in the nation, and you ask them about New Orleans, they will say that the place has just done a complete 180. There are more restaurants today in New Orleans yes, than there so. were before Hurricane Katrina. Yep. And they and they just got that great lawsuit money from BP Oil, so they have at least $44 million to redevelop, even though BP Oil dumped a whole bunch of oil into the coast and pretty much decimated their seafood mm. industry. But hey, who's counting that, right? And then also, if you really want to talk about New Orleans and how great they're doing, we got to talk about the fact that a lot of the people in that community are upwardly mobile, except for people of color. Did I mention that even though African Americans make up about 59% of New Orleans, if I'm correct, and I could be wrong because my number is a little bit faulty, and actually because my internet is slowing down so I can't get to my uh, my notes, they only make about 48% of that upper, of, of that like employment growth, which means a large majority of the people of color who live in New Orleans are still struggling financially and people keep boasting about how much redevelopment has happened in New Orleans and how there are so many new houses and so many people are doing so well and the fact that New Orleans is up to 79% of the population it had before the hurricane. So what I mean by that is if there were 10 people in New Orleans before Hurricane Katrina and after the hurricane, there were only about four people left. Today, in 2015, 10 years later, there are seven people here. But the problem is no one counted how many people were missing, so we don't know if these are returning people or new people, but that's not important. We had over a 1,000 deaths because of the hurricane, and that includes people drowning and people dying afterwards, you know, little things like that. But a lot of these people have still not actually been identified. But New Orleans is strong. Bourbon Street is awesome. There's so much money to spend, and you can go up financially if you're white. And your house is recovered, and you're good unless you're poor. And you know what? Everyone had an equal opportunity unless you're poor or you're black. Hmm. Who knows? Maybe it's just a coincidence. But anyways, guys, I am not here to depress you or just talk a lot of crap about New Orleans because I actually want to visit that place one day and possibly be scared to death because we all know anytime I go anywhere south of New York, and that includes South Jamaica, I get nervous because we all know black people ain't too famous in other places outside of maybe two blocks in Harlem, four blocks in Brooklyn, and one street in Queens. To help us with this conversation, though, because we all know that I am no expert on any of these things, we have a wonderful guest, and her name is Tabitha Mustafa. And forgive me, guys. 
guys, at the moment, my computer, my phone is acting up, and I was trying to read her bio. I can't get access to it at the moment, but I promise you, as soon as I get it, I will read it to you. Up, oh, Selena, you are super clutch. So, Tabitha Mustafa, and if I butchered your last name, I want you to come on air and punch me in the ear. She is a native New Orleans. New Orleanian, wow, and an active part of the city's social justice community, and we all know I love community organizers and social justice people. She has worked on grassroots organizing efforts on various issues, including criminal justice, immigrant rights, racial, and food justice, and trust me, one of the biggest issues in communities of color is food deserts. So what do we mean by that? We're talking about you have a freaking KFC, you have fried chicken, you have all sorts of this unhealthy food, but you can't find fruits, and if you do find fruits or vegetables, they're either in poor quality or super expensive. Expensive. And then they say, oh, why is everyone so unhealthy? Well, there you go. Anyways, currently, Tabitha works as the core organizer of New Orleans Palestinian Solidarity Committee and the program associate for the Peace by Peace program of American Friends Service Committee. And her number's here, too, but you don't get to have that, guys. <laughs> so, Tabitha, first of all, thank you so much for calling in today and being our guest. I'm really excited to talk to you about everything that's going on. But before we start this segment, I had to ask you a question. It is a very important question. I asked every single person this question when you go to brunch with your friends because that's how i say friends <laughs> what drink do you get what drink do i get well ha. i mean i definitely get coffee because there's no uh no self-respecting arab um or new orleanian would get brunch without coffee with chicory in it <laughs> correct um, but I would have to say a Bloody Mary. That's how you get started down here. A Bloody Mary? I feel like I need to step my game up. I got started with a coffee. I had brunch last week because we didn't do the show. So I had brunch last week and I had a coffee and I had a mimosa, but a peach mimosa. And it was really good, too. So why well, Bloody Mary? The, I have no offense. The peach mimosa is a little weak. I mean, yes. in New Orleans, we have, you know, we have our great zing zing. That's the Bloody Mary mix. Uh, some spicy beans. Uh, string beans that we put in it, uh, pickled Ooh. okra, uh, a lime wedge, um, a lemon, an olive. Like, you, you basically have a whole meal yeah. in, in your Bloody Mary, so wow. you have to start out with that. It's also the hangover cure if you have that issue going on. Hangovers are for women and Europeans, all right? Sadly, <laughs> not nice at all. She got my joke. So, I didn't, right? so you can get hungover from looking at a Bud Light, yeah, all right? right I'm not that. even. We're not talking about you, but guys, we're not here to talk about alcohol, even though I love that subject as well. Hennessy, pay me. We are here to talk about New Orleans and Hurricane Katrina. So we all know what happened in 2005 when Hurricane Katrina hit, and since then, let's talk about some of the things that have been going on in New Orleans, right? So the median income gap between black and white households in New Orleans has widened by 18 percent since 2005, and according to the Urban League. The, the increase of household income for white families has gone from 49 to 60, whereas African-Americans has, has rose from 23 to 25, which is a, a pretty scary slash confusing number because I don't understand how there's such like happy and prosperous economic growth for Caucasian-Americans in New Orleans, but the same hasn't happened for African-Americans. So I guess, um, wow, <laughs> I had a brain freeze. So, so I guess, Tabitha, what I'd like to start the conversation with is, um, first of all, like, what like what state was were, were communities of color in right before the hurricane, and like what happened when the hurricane actually hit? Um, so before the hurricane, I don't want to paint the picture that you know New Orleans was the the greatest place on earth as far as economics go and racial disparities. Um, it certainly wasn't that way. Um, black men and, and women faced incarceration at much higher rates. 
um, than our white counterparts here in New Orleans. Um, the thing that the thing that's really clutch, I think, to remember is that before years and for years and years before Katrina hit, the city had been trying to destroy black communities. There was an assault on the black body happening. Public housing, education, um, middle class jobs, and healthcare were all things that pre Katrina they just couldn't figure out how to destroy. Like um, in the as far as education went, you know, we had to pay all these black, middle-class, predominantly uh, women who taught in these predominantly black traditional schools for years and years. They came from the community. We had community schools. Now, were these the greatest schools in the country? No. Um, if you want to base it on test scores, they were failing, but I think most people know that there's more to teaching someone than, um, than teaching them how to test. Um, Healthcare charity hospital wasn't in the greatest state, but it served the black population here in New Orleans. If you ask half the city where you were born, they will say charity hospital because back in the day, um, people drove from as far away as Baton Rouge to be born at charity hospital. Um, you know, housing, the St. Thomas um, and the Iberville are some, some of the oldest housing developments we have here in New Orleans. And Back in, I want to say around 1988, mm -hmm. um, the St. Thomas Housing Development faced something called the Roshan Plan. The mayor at the time, Sidney Bartholomew, came up with this plan um, so that the housing authority could be privately run. So Hano and HUD, so the Housing Authority of New Orleans and HUD, got together and they said, how can we get private interest into the housing community? Um, so they wanted to change that into mixed-income housing, but the St. Thomas Residence Council, so that's grassroots activism led by people like Barbara Johnson and McKnight, um, fought to fought that Roshan plan to have this housing be turned over into mixed-income mixed housing that would be predominantly or increasingly white. Um, so that was an attack on housing that we faced pre-Katrina that, you know, later on we can talk about what's happened post-Katrina. Um, as well as environmental racism. As early as 1956, the Army Corps of Engineers had been trying to widen the Industrial Canal. And the Industrial Canal in New Orleans is where um, maritime traffic between the Mississippi River and gets to the Gulf of Mexico. So it's, you know, major uh, for ports. They wanted to make upgrades before Katrina. Um, so this contributed to the loss of natural barriers like marshlands, weakening yeah. of our flood walls, increased vulnerability. These are all things that were happening mm. pre-Katrina. So, so they were like, they were actively doing things that were setting you guys, that were setting up communities of color up for failure when Katrina actually hit before that happened, correct? Right. So now when the hurricane actually hit, what are some of the things that we saw on the ground? And I, you know, obviously we talked about these things in millions of articles and on TV, but as someone who lives in, this, in these communities and talked to people, what are some things that you guys witnessed and experienced? Um, on the ground, I think you have to talk about people who were here versus people who weren't allowed to come back. The city didn't really make any preparations to help people come back before um, two of every three people in the city are black. Now it's three of every five people in the city are black. About 100,000 people haven't been able to return to the city because the city didn't make preparation. It was a one-way ticket out. So a lot of the changes that we saw, a lot of things that we saw on the ground um, were only for the people 
who were here at the time. A lot of people got that one-way ticket to Houston, to Atlanta, to Portland, and never made it back to the city. So their experiences are very different. Um, people here in the city, you know, there were there was a clip on Democracy Now! Um, a few years back. Uh, Malik Rahim, who's an organizer here in the city, uh, has been for a long time, unveiled a body um, weeks after the storm had passed in between the ICE facility and, and, the, and the police department. And I'm just trying to figure out how there's a body in the middle of the street um, and, and no one could seem um, to just move it out of the way. You know, kids passed there on their way to school. Um, people drove past it every day, yet, you know, that wasn't a priority. Um, on the ground, you saw, you, you still see to this day, blighted houses, properties, um, that just haven't come back. There are entire parts of the city that still look like August 29th <laughs> or August 30th of 2005. Mm-hmm. There's no reason that should be, especially when, you know, the French Quarter was back online a week later. Atrocious. So, that yeah. No, I mean, we're, we're listening to what you're saying, Tabitha, and, I mean, it's just bringing back so many visuals, and it's horrible. And I know our special studio guest, Tiffany, wanted to jump in with a question or comment. So on uh, Twitter, there was this conversation that started, you know, it was 10 years since uh, Hurricane Katrina, and a lot of people were saying how they, if they had, like, a family, they would have to move their family, like you said, to Houston, and they felt like their kids had to, like, you know, almost, like, whitewash their accent because they were, you know, being treated, like, actively when they were in school, they were being called, like, refugees. And it's like, how can you be a refugee when you're a citizen of, you know, the United States and you're just going to another um, state because of this storm? So can you just talk about, like, the role that FEMA played or didn't play? Because I know people were saying as of 2014 that FEMA was, like, garnishing their income tax or, like, refunds because they said that they were overpaying them. So can you just talk about, like, what the role that FEMA paid and how people are still, you know, to this day are trying to recover, still, like, reliving Hurricane Katrina? Yeah, so I think it's important to think about FEMA in a very different context than people tend to think about it. Um, A lot of people don't realize that FEMA now comes under the Department of Homeland Security. Um, So their priority is not necessarily to get people back online after the storm. It's to protect assets. Um, So we we still see um, FEMA kind of not not really... um, facilitating the role that they were originally meant to facilitate. So people just can't make it back because, like you said, they are garnishing wages. Um, they didn't give people the resources that they needed when they needed them. They still haven't given them uh, what they needed. Um, Wait, Tabitha, so FEMA, So first of all, we all can agree that FEMA failed miserably when it yes. came to Hurricane Katrina. So can we agree to that? Yes. And then, so now they failed. So this is like this is like when you go to get a haircut and the barber zeeks your hairline, which what I mean by that is he pushes it back or he makes it really messed up, and then he asks for a tip. <laughs> so they, they, they pretty much, and like their mistakes are not like, oh, well, I didn't have hot water for a day. It was like, oh, my uncle's dead. And, well, you know, we made sure that your uncle got buried three months later, so now we're going to take from your checks and your taxes. Is that pretty much what we're talking about? We are talking about that, and we're talking about them saying, oh, we gave you this trailer for you to live in, for you what? and your family to live in post-Katrina. We didn't give you the, the butane tanks to keep it going. Um, but since we gave you the trailer that was had, like, Chinese drywall and other things that may have caused you health problems and other, you know, bodily harm, um, 
you owe us for what we did. It's not like when uh, the U.S. government goes into other places and they say in other countries, we'll give you this for free. Like here in the U.S., it's like, oh, no, like these are your tax dollars and they're meant to be spent on other things. So that wasn't of concern to them. Um, and think about like the, the FEMA trailers. A lot of times, the way they were set up, those ended up blowing up. I know a woman Whoa. who um, who has her most of her skin has been burned off. She's still alive, and she owns a, a successful business here in New Orleans. But to go from <laughs> from not having any any bodily harm from Katrina, and then getting this FEMA trailer, um, and then now you ninety percent of your body. Um, has been damaged due to burns caused by issues with the trailers. That's something that they should at least be willing to pay for, and they haven't been as far oh as I God. know. Wow. Tab- Tabitha, that is a horrible way to to go on a break, but we do have to go on one. When we come back, we'll be talking more about Hurricane Katrina, how it has affected communities of color, and what is happening now. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, and this is Fetty Wap because we need some happiness right now. Marilyn Pletha of May. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. My name is Stanley Fritz, but you can call me Trap Lord T with the T at the end. I am here with Selena Hill and Tiffany Tiff Bizzle for Shizzle My Rizzle. We have an amazing guest on the line by the name of T- Tabitha Mustafa. I was going to call her Tabitha I don't know how I was going to combine her oh, first and last God. name, but I almost did it. Horrible. Tabitha has taught me that Bloody Marys for brunch are a smarter decision than peach mimosas, and I'm inclined to agree with her because I want to be manlier. She also told me that FEMA has actually been charging and garnishing people's checks and their tax money to pay them back for those crappy trailers they gave them, which made them sick, and told me a whole bunch of other amazing things about New Orleans and what has happened since Hurricane Katrina. And in case you just tuned then that is a conversation that we are having um and we had tabitha on the line waiting to speak again but before we get to her and selena who has a comment one of my favorite people in all of the radio world is listening and she would like to make a comment so miss deborah let your voice be heard hi hi everybody hi good morning i was i i i i saw a lot of what happened on television um i saw a young girl or young lady have a diabetic seizure in front of the mall, I mean, or the, whatever that, I call it a big coffin, because that's what they did. They marched in, and they had babies outside who had nothing to drink, and then when they did give them something, I don't know what it was, but they were like uh, bottles that looked like you would feed cows. And some of the little babies could barely get their mouths around, you know, things like that. Now, this President Bush, he's flying around, and then when he comes back, he shakes hands and he says to this guy, good job, Brownie. I don't know why people are forgetting that. And it needs to be said that there were people who were dead on the highway. Um, Gil Noble from Like It Is had a show. And you could barely, I mean, there were spots and dots all over because they couldn't show the bodies. But the bodies were all over. And one man was, did not want to leave his mother because she was in a wheelchair and she was dead. And he was told by an official that if he didn't want to be like his mother, he better hurry up and leave. So he had to leave his mother out in the hot sun. Wow. You know, I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, story after story after story. I would not be surprised if you found hundreds of bodies left over. Because wow. I, I, I just, you know, nobody ever says anything. You know, I remember when they did the first party and everybody is drinking. And I think we really stop, need to stop partying and having parties. 
and 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 you know these things. I I don't know. It's just something about Louisiana that leaves me cold. I guess I just, you. you know. Yeah. But I'm sorry. I know that you all have a lot to talk about, so I will let you go. And uh, I have to go. Okay. Uh, nothing to be sorry a- about, Miss Deborah. Thank you so much for for calling in this morning. Um, mm-hmm. I, if it's all right, then I want to give Tapitha some time to respond since yes. she's on the ground in New Orleans and is also a social justice activist. Not about the parties. You can text me about the parties. <laughs> but <laughs> go ahead, Tabitha. Yeah, I mean what Miss Deborah was saying. <clears throat> excuse me, it's true. Um, there were a lot of bodies floating around, but they weren't. They weren't just on highways. They were literally floating in the water. Um, we bury people above ground a lot of the time. So um, as the water rose, you know, a lot of those coffins also rose. Um, so oh you had, God. you know, whole cemeteries kind of just floating away, the ones that weren't, you know, secure. Um, the bodies are bodies are a very interesting topic because you, you look at the bodies um, that floated in the water, just kind of a blatant disregard for those lives. But at the same time, you look at the black bodies that are still here, that are in, you know, our prisons, that are um, being affected by the policies that are in place. And that is almost as horrific as what happened during Katrina. Uh, Tabitha, I just want to be clear. Before I actually get to my question, let me just throw the phone number out there to our listeners. If you want to chime into the conversation, the number is 212-650-6903. You can also tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. So with all the atrocities that we've been reflecting upon that happened uh, in, the, in the direct aftermath of Af- uh, Hurricane Katrina, and now even 10 years later, we still see a lot of neglect and resources not being allocated to communities of color or or, or uh, communities of low income and low means. Um, I just want to be clear, Tabitha, are we saying this is racism? It all comes back to the fact that these people, the people who aren't being treated are poor and black. Is is that what you think it boils down to? Pretty much. I mean, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an attack on black lives, for sure. Um, but it's, it's actually extended beyond black lives into, you know, we have a large Palestinian community here. We have um, a fairly large Vietnamese community here. They've also faced attacks as well as the Homa Nation and Native Americans here in Louisiana. Um, so let, let's talk about the present now. So it's been 10 years. And like I mentioned before we got you on the phone, everyone's celebrating about how far New Orleans has come. And there's so, so many more restaurants and people are making money and BP poisoning the water and giving only $45 million for this. What do these communities look, communities look like in 2015? These black communities, these Palestinian communities, um, these LGBT communities, how have they, how much have they recovered from Hurricane Katrina? If any, if I don't have to say. To be clear, we haven't recovered. That's, that's you know, point blank, we haven't recovered. The mayor, um, you know, the presidents and former presidents who are coming in, they're going to say, New Orleans is resilient. We bounce back. But we're not, in fact, you know, maybe we are resilient in a way. We continue to take punch after punch that continues to try and destroy our communities. But we don't want to be resilient. That is the last thing we want to be. Resistant is what we are. Yeah. Constantly fighting back against. Um, the oppression that we're facing, and especially the LGBT community, um, trans women of color are arrested at alarming rates in New Orleans. I mean, it's across the country, but here um, there's something to be said for the work that groups like Breakout have done yeah. um, for those communities because it's just been terrible. Um, 
and it's things that you see now. You know, we have like an all, all charter school system. Mm-hmm. I think it might be the only place in the country that has that because we fired almost all of our public school staff, you know, following the storm. Now you see the traditional public schools that were named after um, admirable black people like Benjamin Banneker that are getting changed to charter school names like Kit. Um, so we're, you know, taking away place-based identities from people. You can't live in the same housing development that your family lived in for generations. You can't afford to buy a house in the neighborhood that you grew up in. Um, it's hard to get a job. So let's talk about that, actually, about, too, the employment and the housing. So we know a lot of homes were destroyed after the hurricane, and it's been 10 years. How many people in, in these communities do you think were able to come back or rebuild afterwards in these last 10 years? I would say more people were able, able to come back than to rebuild, um, but not nearly. Like I said, 100,000 people still haven't come home yet. Yeah. And I don't know that they will be able to, but what I was talking about before with the St. Thomas uh, Residence Council where they had that plan to try and make it mixed income housing in the late 80s and early 90s, now um, that St. Thomas has been changed to River Garden, <laughs> and you see lots of um, a lot more white people moving into the neighborhood, it's mixed income now. The Iberville, which is adjacent to the French Quarter, um, the young black people there were seen as an impediment to tourism and to the gentrification of the neighborhood they wanted to have. And the value of uh, property that close to the French Quarter is astronomical. Mm-hmm. Now that's being turned into mixed income property. It's you know constantly pushing black people out of the areas they've traditionally been in. The Lower Ninth Ward, I think, is a perfect example. That was one of the areas that had a green dot put on it mm-hmm. and said, this community isn't going to come back. They did come back, but you can see that it's being infiltrated by, you know, no offense to New Yorkers, but there, there are a lot more New Yorkers in the lower, in the Ninth Ward, the lower Ninth Ward that had never been there. The bywater is increasing. It seems like a block every day. Wow. Um, you know, that's that may be a bit of an exaggeration, but just to see, if you take a, a, a photo and look at St. Claude Avenue pre-Katrina and look at it now, it's a different world. Wow. Tiffany, I have a question about some of the the money that has been donated and is being donated. I know. Oh, Tabitha, I'm sorry. Um, I know that Walmart just um, put out a press release saying that they will be donating twenty five million dollars to different um, different activists and different activism and um, organizations on the ground there. And there's been a number of celebrities that have went down there and, and allocated funds. Where exactly is the funding going? Because if there's been, you know, so much so much outpouring into New Orleans, um, are you saying it's just not being dis- um, distributed evenly or you don't or is that just like up in the air where we don't know exactly where the funds end up? If that money's coming in, let me see it. Please give those people my phone number, tell them to call me, tell them to email me, because I I just haven't seen that money, and I think that a lot of frontline communities and organizers haven't seen that money roll in so that we can, you know, distribute that to our communities as we see fit and not how, you know, the city of New Orleans that has helped to destroy so many communities sees fit. Um, Just haven't seen it. I don't know where it is. Wow. Hi, Tabitha. Um, so can you just talk about what uh, past or even present elected officials have been doing for, you know, um, New Orleans and just the people that were really impacted by Hurricane Katrina and 
can you also maybe talk about how they actively played a role? Because I know some people felt like Katrina wasn't the issue. It was the response that made it, it made it what it was. So can you just talk about that? Sure. Um, I think we can start with the governor at the time, uh, Kathleen Blanco. She was the one who had the recovery school district take over um, most of New Orleans public schools. So I would fault her for the, you know, charterization of the public school system here. I would probably fault George Bush the most. Um, he, if you listen to video clips of him talking about the hurricane response, he kind of took the Milton Friedman approach and said, this is an opportunity. We're going to increase the refineries, which are destroying our wetlands, which are, you know, making the effects of hurricanes worse on the city and uh, on the, the area as a whole, um, you know, he advocated for charter schools. He's advocated for most of the privatization that has happened in New Orleans since Katrina. Um, I wouldn't take uh, Mayor Nagin out of it, too. He, You know, he was the mayor when they came up with the Green Dot plan to just turn entire communities like New Orleans East, Broadmoor, the Lower Ninth Ward into green spaces. These are places where people live, like, there's no way that you should say these people don't deserve a right to return to their homes. And that's something they were preaching, a right to return that a lot of people haven't been afforded. Um, I mean, he's just been convicted. So um, I don't see Mayor, uh, former Mayor Nagin doing too much from his prison cell. Um, Mitch Landrieu, our current mayor, uh, he's the one who has been preaching this resilience story and talking about how we've come back. But I don't think that it's been along the lines of who's come back. I think it's been along the lines of who has come, because a lot of people who have come post-Katrina are not coming back. They yeah. weren't here to begin with. Um, they're taking what wasn't theirs, uh, people's homes, people's uh, livelihoods, the places where people grew up, and they're trying to change um, the culture of New Orleans, uh, you know, passing ordinances against uh, playing music in Treme, where most of our famous uh, jazz and brass players come from. Um, these are all, I would say, the fault of local government um, and George Bush. Wow. Tabitha, thank you so much for that. So we do have to wrap this segment up. Could you please just let our listeners know how they can learn more about you and also what they can do to help out the New Orleans who actually are from New Orleans and need the help? Sure. Um, I would suggest um, contacting Gulf South Rising, they have uh, a network that can put you in touch with a lot of frontline organizations. Um, if you're looking to get in touch with Piece by Piece, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram. You can also email me personally. Um, uh, that's tmustafa at afsc.org. If you're looking to get in touch with us, we would love to have any support that we can get for our youth. You can... Uh, Stop by if you're in New Orleans. Stop by our film premiere that's going to be um, on the anniversary of Katrina next Saturday. Oh. Um, yeah, so that's you know one way to help out. We love any donations uh, for that film festival kind of talk or that film premiere talking about um, disaster capitalism, the trauma industrial complex. Um, just reach out. You know, people are are willing to talk if uh, if you're just willing to listen. Wow. Thank you so much for that. Please Thank send you. us that information so we can tweet it out to our followers. We have lots of rich followers. I'm kidding. We huh. don't. And if we do, they don't talk to me because they like Selena instead. Psych. But, um, Tabitha, <laughs> Tabitha thank you so much, Selena. Were you going to say something? I just want to say thank you to Tabitha because I had a conversation with her yesterday and she was great today. 
Awesome. Right. So, Tabitha, <laughs> enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Have a Bloody Mary for me, okay? All right. Thanks to you guys so much. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Guys, I'm not going to sit here and preach to you for too long or for too much because I'm not sure how much preaching is going to actually change anything. But what I will tell you is that before there was a Mike Brown, before there was a Trayvon Martin, before there was a, a, a young, unarmed woman or, or man on the street who had been killed by a cop, there was government systems in place that had that had systematically worked their very hardest to hurt and to undermine communities of color. They've worked hard to undermine black women of color, Latin women of color, LGBT communities, and they've continued to do this kind of work. And what usually happens is no one pays attention to it, and then a disaster happened. That's what happened in New Orleans. You had all these systems in place looking to undermine low-income communities of color and also poor communities because sometimes it's not just you know, African-Americans, Latin-Americans, or LGBT people. It's also poor white people, too. But these systems are in place to undermine them and keep them the same way. And then Hurricane Katrina happens. And when it happens, all of a sudden, there's this huge flow of disaster. And everyone goes, oh, my God, there was a problem. We had to address the problem. And then people try to address the problem. And the same people who were working to undermine the system come in and put even stronger barriers on these people. That is what we're seeing in New Orleans. That is why, after the, since the hurricane, hurricane, I mean, hurricane, New Orleans has become an all-charter school, public school system. Charters. Pretty much privatized schools completely. That is why... The median income for a family in New Orleans of African American descent of Afri of African Americans is twenty five thousand dollars a year, as compared to white Americans, which is around sixty thousand a year. That is why over a hundred thousand people have been displaced, but they have not returned because there was a problem with the system. So the next time you're out there and you're saying that Black Lives Matter. Don't forget that there's more than one way to fight for these issues and to fight for the lives of black people because reforming the police is just one thing. We have to reform the entire system because if we don't, we'll have police who might not shoot black people, but the black people won't have anywhere to stay because they'll be displaced through gentrification, through charter schools, through lack of jobs, or just flat-out racism. But guys, we do have to go on a break. When we come back, we'll be on to the news roundup where I'm going to talk about my boy Sean King and my homeboy DeRay and defend the both of them. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem, Maryland. Make me a sandwich, girl. I'm never confused 